Welcome to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio, a show where we help B2B and CPG marketers unlock the power of digital marketing to fuel growth and creativity in their organizations. Our host today is Cheryl Beam, the Director of Copywriting at Tenlo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leader Generation, brought to you by Tenlo Radio. Today, we have a really exciting episode. We're going to talk about the death of third-party cookies and what it means for your online visibility. Our guest today is a digital strategist and tech lead here at Tenlo, Tony Mastry. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So this is a big topic, getting lots of press and making a lot of our clients nervous. Before we dive in, we want to learn a little bit about you. Tell us about your background and what brought you to Tenlo to be a digital strategist. I guess I'll just start with kind of my college days. I I was a little confused about what I wanted to really get into. So I knew I was decent at math. I tried my hand in secondary math education, and that just wasn't something I saw myself doing long term. So ended up switching over computer science and kind of the, the opposite end of the spectrum. So those two extremes kind of caused me to start looking for like, what can I do in the middle? And that's where marketing kind of came into play. So it had a lot of the, the technical side, especially in digital marketing of what computer science offered, but then some of the like communications and creative pieces that teaching kind of leverages. So landed on marketing and ended up, ended up loving it. Had an internship while I was still in school. And <laughs> that's where I was kind of introduced to SEO. Didn't really talk about SEO a lot uh, or a lot of like the digital components of marketing when I was in college, but my internship kind of exposed me to the, the broader world of digital marketing. Kind of fell in love with SEO or what I thought was SEO at the time and ended up being kind of the, some wild west version of SEO. Then from there moved in-house to a long-term position with a software as a service company in Canton, Ohio. And that's where I really kind of learned some white hat SEO and how to make some future-proof SEO moves. And things worked out really well there. Just really grew the audience, got a good handle on lead generation. And then I made the move to Houston, Texas shortly after that and switched to the agency side. So I've been agency side for the past three and a half years. And then just recently started with uh, Tenlo looking to make a move back to Cleveland. So very excited. I know that there are a lot of really knowledgeable people here. So very excited to learn a little bit more. Whereas a lot of my history has been some self-learned marketing content. Very excited to kind of fit in, see what a team can really provide to help me balance my subject matter expertise. So I love that you have this lens of being in-house and you have the lens of working at an agency Tell us from that perspective, what is the most important things for our clients to understand right now about the changes happening with third-party cookies? Well, I think one of the most important things is really not to panic. I think there, obviously there are changes coming and I say coming, one of these changes already happened. So don't panic, but the, the two more concrete changes that are coming and have already just happened are the iOS 14.5 update. That's a big, a big privacy update that just hit on April 26th. And then the second one is Google's announcement of the removal of third-party cookies sometime in 2021, I believe was the estimate. They really weren't as concrete about theirs. 
on when that would happen. But those are the two big things. So they both have big ramifications. But like I said, at, at the end of the day, do not panic. These changes present big opportunities, just like COVID hit. And I, obviously there was cause for alarm, but it presented a lot of opportunities that you could kind of be proactive about and take advantage of before everyone else came in and kind of saturated a strategic move. So there are things to be optimistic about. That's great. I think that's good news for us and our clients that there are opportunities. Can you give us a couple of examples of what that might look like? Yeah. And that might be putting the cart before the horse. I do think the big opportunity that comes from this really is focusing more on native advertising. And that's something where, for the most part, you see a lot of affiliate advertising. And that was maybe a decade ago. That was huge. That was very SEO-based when SEO was a lot more easily gameable. But this is less, I guess, affiliate marketing and more just true native advertising. So third-party cookies disappear and iOS kind of imposes some more privacy walls around its uh, app developers and native advertising becomes just a really, really future-proof. And I mean, that's even before the internet, right? That's native advertising was the only advertising. So you're kind of just going back to your basics and kind of figuring out really what works, what will always work, and how do we increase our position in that strategy. So native advertising is huge there. And then another thing that we'll kind of look at too is owned media. And I guess not in the sense of, not even just in the sense of like a website that you own, that is definitely one big piece. Uh, and if anybody, I mean, everybody's kind of read a HubSpot blog article at any point, like they're very big on owned media and that build your own audience. And here's how you do that with SEO and PPC and social. And that's huge. But then there's also another component that is more, I guess, explicit about the word owned there. And that's something that a lot of these big companies like HubSpot, they now own the hustle. They found an outlet that resonates directly with their target audience and they bought that news outlet. Or you look at even like Amazon, I'm pretty sure Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, right? So they literally own a news outlet that they kind of, it provides them a lot more first party data and some opportunities that other people wouldn't be able to access with some of these privacy moves. And then even like Warren Buffett, like some of these big players, he owns several news outlets. So there are two different things you can kind of mean by owned media there, like owning your own site and building your own audience, but also are there advertising opportunities to where instead of paying someone to consistently be putting your content on their platform, can you just buy the platform and really own kind of a publishing house under your own umbrella? So there's, those are a couple of things, obviously not for everyone. Not everyone's in a position to go buy some news outlet, but recently some of those moves have been made. So very interesting to see. That is interesting. I think one thing we've seen with our clients is even starting to create their own communities, like on their properties and with their content, with their clients. You know, I feel like things are moving in that direction to become more of, you're not just a business that provides me a product or a specific service, but there's value in the relationship. And that relationship, especially since the pandemic is largely online or can be online. Right. I think that kind of goes full circle with, I think, you know, Google over, over the years that has turned from like a technology company and how do we deliver search results into what we see today where they're really kind of just mimicking the physical world. What trust signals do people look at in the physical world? And it's come full circle to where they're just trying to basically emulate advertising and marketing before the internet existed. And that's kind of what we see then 
today with everything else where it's, it's coming full circle and building a community. That's something that happened before the internet existed. That's how you got the word out about something. And we've finally gotten to that point where it's a little more authentic, future-proof, not just internet tactics. Yes. So why do you think companies like Google and Apple are rolling out these privacy measures now? So I do believe a lot of this is political and a lot of it is just optics. There have been huge pushes, obviously, especially I I think a lot of this started in the EU uh, and you see Google getting hit just about every year with like billions of dollars in fines for different privacy violations. And so there's been a big push. And then I know it kind of that same push got its foothold in California and the U.S., and so you see everything from the little opt-in cookie policies, the GDPR stuff that's across everyone's website, but it is still very much a default announcement like, hey, we're opting you in, click here to continue browsing our site and to get rid of the banner, you just kind of have to click it and get it out of the way. I don't think people know a lot of behind the scenes moves, but really there has been a big push and they are trying to get out in front of it. They're trying to regulate themselves a little bit so that They don't have some sort of like government agency coming in to regulate them. But that being said, obviously, it's a political thing. So they're being very strategic about that. I think the privacy pushes they're they're putting in place are kind of designed to to be irritating up front. So they're kind of making the moves that they're like, hey, here's what we're doing for privacy. Like things are going to be better for you now. Does this feel better? And just about everyone is like, no, this was like the worst. Why would you change this? But they're just trying to basically, I don't know, they're moving in that direction and kind of asking us along the way, like, do you like this? Is this what you imagined? And they're very intentionally the most irritating thing. So no, not what we imagined. They're I don't, is it very much an optics thing? Like, do you want us to keep doing this? And I think they're almost trying to get people to say, no, do what you want with our data. We don't care. Like, this is very annoying. So please stop. That's kind of the political push that I'm seeing. Uh, but really, it is in response to real world concerns from just not even just people, but like nations across the board. And that's why they're making these moves. And we're going to take a short break for our sponsor, who also happens to be Tenlo. What's one of the biggest challenges that marketers face? It's that the sales team doesn't understand the value of digital marketing. To help prove your worth, simply boost the volume of ready-to-buy customers and help your sales team win more customers faster. To get started, download the guide, Five Data Exchanges Between Sales and Marketing to Increase Win Rates. Download the guide at tenlo.com. That's T-E-N-L-O dot com. And now back to our show. Yes, and I think some actual business, you know, on the advertiser side has also been disrupted. What are some things that us as an agency or our clients can do to start improving tracking, especially like our Facebook campaigns or any programmatic campaigns? Uh, What are some steps we can take to improve? Okay, so there are a few things that aren't necessarily in our hands, but we will be able to leverage to improve. Google, they announced that they will be eliminating third-party cookies, but they're not just going to pull the rug out from under us. They did say, we'll have some kind of half-measure aggregated results that you'll be able to tap into. So they created this privacy sandbox to test these changes. So instead of third-party cookies, here's what we're going to have. In general, their, their main solution has been pointing to the it's called Flock. It's the Federated Learning of Cohorts. And so that's kind of a replacement. 
And then they have another replacement that they're calling Fledge. It's the first locally executed decision over groups experiment. So obviously a mouthful. So they made some backronyms to kind of fit those together. So Fledge, these can be very confusing when you get into them, but really Flock is interest-based targeting that uses kind of aggregated hide in the crowd techniques that can kind of provide some of this retargeting capability. It is a little bit more watered down. And then Fledge is more category-based instead of interest-based targeting. And so really these are things like instead of targeting an individual browser with a cookie, maybe you add to their browser some sort of like a category, like you visited a website that fit under this category. And so now you're grouped into this bucket of people who have visited this category within the last 30 days. Um, so that's kind of one of the replacements that they're looking at as a feasible option to use instead of individual targeting. So that will be something that we will have access to. And I guess why even entertain like Fledge and Flock, like Flock is a little more obvious. You need some sort of replacement if you're just going to take something away. But Fledge kind of came into play because there are a lot of ad tech companies like Critio and Nextroll. And I would imagine even like AdRoll, right? These tech companies would essentially have no footing to provide the service they're providing. A lot of these have like a ton of funding and investors. Some of those might even be public companies to where Google would just completely make a pretty much a, an anti-competitive move and shut these companies down. So if they are doing all of this, I guess in light of these big privacy moves and being hit with antitrust lawsuits left and right, this is a very bad move to make without coming up with a replacement. So Fledge is kind of an answer to how do we do this without getting in even bigger trouble? And so that's where it really comes in and they're kind of offering these watered down solutions. And there are actually some numbers on that too. So they've been doing flock testing in their privacy sandbox to see, you know, is this a viable replacement? And a lot of their tests show that the, I guess, flock strategy for retargeting is about 95% effective. You get 95% of conversions per dollar compared to the cookie retargeting. So third-party cookie retargeting which is not great. I mean, especially if you're spending, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, a loss of 5% of those conversions, you just threw away like potentially tens of thousands, or even it, it could be up to millions in really, really large organizations. So it is a little disheartening to see, but those are two, I guess, more apples for apples solutions that you could look at. Other ways around is what it's kind of what we talked about with native ads. So find a news outlet that really, really aligns to what you're, or several news outlets, right? Really aligns to the target audience that you're going after and try to strike a deal with them on getting placements for some of your more popular products or even exclusivity if it makes sense and they're that well aligned with your audience targeting. And then a lot of that too is what you had mentioned, Tessa, where it's really, you need to build up your own community. What can you do today with marketing automation to build up your subscribers list. It gives you a direct line to your customers. Uh, and a lot of times those people are going to know other people that could, I mean, really, if you had no other third-party help, it's going to give you a line to friends and friends of friends of your most, I guess, aligned target audience. So use marketing automation today to build your first party subscriber lists before these things disappear. Yes, I totally agree. That's a great suggestion, but it's a lot of manual work, as we know. So sometimes those substitutes are what you need in the short run right. um, as you begin to build you know, the content and the strategy for that. So one thing that I find interesting is they are being very strategic about this rollout. Um, they're balancing these political considerations 
So then why have other browsers like Safari and Firefox declined to include these new privacy air quotes improvements into their own platforms? So actually that's, that is interesting because I don't think it's a highly visible thing just because market share is so low for a lot of these other browsers, but many of these people by default already don't use third-party cookies. Um, so a lot of this stuff is just gone already. But the fact that Chrome has like a 65% of global browser market share, that kind of makes that the more visible, more painful move. But a lot of these other browsers already kind of have those privacy measures in place. Uh, it's just not as talked about, I guess. So I know that obviously there are some gaps there and I'm not going to pretend to know like one by one, which one uh, does have the same thing going on and which doesn't. So I can't really speak to that, but it would probably surprise you to know that this is something that has already kind of been rolled out on the lesser browsers, lesser, I guess, just in respect to their market share. That is interesting. And I wonder, and maybe it's because personally, I'm a little suspicious of Google. <laughs> um, is there a danger to consumers? Like, are these all above board changes or are some of these ultimately sort of benefiting Google exclusively? So I think most of these, and that was kind of what I had said, they're trying to regulate themselves, but doing it in a way that is the most painful to everyone, just so that people stop asking for it. But really, most of these will benefit Google. So, I mean, if you're looking at the federated learning of cohorts, that really, it's owned by Google, right? So you almost have to play with them if you're going to get anything done. Uh, and even these ad tech companies that I mentioned, most of them are like petitioning Google for these replacements and like what the replacements need to look like for them to be able to continue continue their business without being completely cut out of the equation. So Google, I, it's basically, I don't know, kind of an anti-competitive move on their part. They, they built up this like wonderful garden of like, look at all these tools that people have available to them. I say people, meaning like users, people that use Google search as well as advertisers. Uh, and then once they have the majority market share, they throw the walls up and put the wall around their garden. So it really creates kind of a walled garden around these tools that people had just built million, if not billion dollar businesses around. And now you have to play ball directly with Google. Actually the same thing, there've been a lot of complaints recently, especially since 426, when Apple's privacy update rolled out. And that's, I, I haven't really talked about that much up to this point, but it's kind of the same, there's almost a sinister undertone to the whole thing. So they put these privacy measures in place to where the app developers have to get opt-in consent. Whereas before it was just like default, you're opted in. If you want to take away cross app activity and tracking and data on all these things, you have to tell us. But now they kind of flip-flop that. So you have to tell them upfront if you would like to give it to them. The default is not letting them track you across apps and internet properties. So there's a lot of advertising that happens within that, that people have been able to do themselves. But now that these privacy measures have gone into place, Apple's advertising, and I mean, they have a few different places they advertise, but one of those really is the App Store. A lot of the app advertising that is run can be done through Apple, but it can also be done through third parties. Now that this update has rolled out, the third parties can still do it, but they have to use a lot of the Apple data that has been scrubbed and aggregated. And there's a lag on that. So they, they might have to wait up to three days to get that aggregated data on, you know, are my ads working? Are people converting and interacting with them? And then on top of that, 
it is less comprehensive data than Apple is able to provide themselves. So Apple gets a competitive advantage really by putting these in place. And now you almost have to go through Apple if you want the real-time data on your advertising across different apps and more comprehensive. You're able to get a little bit more granular data on what's happening. At least that, so that's actually been something that the, the Wall Street Journal just recently reported on. But in both cases there, the data that Google and Apple have that they own really at this point, you almost have to use those if you want to make par for the course at this point. Using third parties puts you at a disadvantage. Um, and so I think that's long run that's going to hurt them with the antitrust stuff and that's why you kind of see these half measures on like well here's a replacement you know it's only 95 percent effective and you're gonna to have to spend more money to get the same results but if they don't do that then you know maybe that means billion dollar fines every year again in the u.s this time so a lot of this is like i said very political there are a lot of optics that they're trying to get out in front of but at the end of the day i feel like the strategic moves that they're making like there are better things you can do to I guess, hit privacy up front that don't directly benefit the ad providers um, or the platform providers, but those aren't what they chose to go with for now. Yes, man, you hit a lot there. So <laughs> if I were to you know, break some of this down, right now, this might feel to a lot of marketers like a thorn in their side, but there is an opportunity to really improve the experience for our customers and clients by starting to think about what other tools we have in our toolbox outside of Google and Apple and other big right. data players and the social networks. And I love the phrase that you used about, you know, we're really trying to emulate what marketing started as before the internet. Right. And what can we do to not just own the data, but also have that relationship where people know exactly what's being tracked and what they're sharing and that sharing actually benefits them. And I feel like that was the promise back in the day, you know, when search and even social networks began. It was like, yeah, we provide this for free and the data you share actually benefits you. And it kind of, it's, it's gotten real blurry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, that for companies that play above board or can commit to being more transparent, there definitely is an opportunity. Yes, definitely. And like you said, I guess the more genuine the message, it really kind of has raised the standard. I would say that's the one big positive that's come out of this. It's raised the standard, even with SEO these days. Like it's no longer a tactics based, like, well, just like buy a bunch of sketchy private blog network links and the tactics have been stripped out and you you have to have good content. And, you know, even five years ago, it's like, well, good content just means this many words. It has to include these different keywords and these secondary keywords. And now today it's, you can't have good content without really insightful, well-written content that now like the algorithm updates, like Smith can parse. And there's so much more to it that really it almost has come full circle. And you need to have legitimately good content, good messaging, things that resonate with your audience. You can't just brute force tactic your way through this it has to actually be real strategy so that is i'm you're right that is the big positive that's come out of this that's great tony thank you so much for joining us today and this is a lot of next steps for us and for marketers to chew on but i'm excited i'm excited to see what will happen as these standards get raised the creativity that will come out like you said similar to the pandemic 
a lot of things took a downturn, but marketers adjusted and sales teams, and we still were able to generate leads and engage people in meaningful ways. And I feel like that's what's about to happen here again. Yeah, absolutely. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Tony or Anthony Mastery. You could reach me through Tenlo as well. But truly, I mean, if you're interested in any sort of subject matter expertise, just contact Tenlo. There are many smarter people than myself. So <laughs> definitely <laughs> reach out to reach out to Tenlo and we'll hook you up with an entire team of Tony pluses. Um, that'll help. Well, thanks, Tony. And just in case so that people email you specifically, it's Tony at Tenlo.com. I like the alliteration similar to mine. <laughs> That's why I work at Tenlo. Yeah. Yep. Tony at Tenlo. Easy to remember. You've been listening to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio. Be sure to subscribe on tenloradio.com.